Hello and welcome to this audio edition of the Ex-Mormon Files with host Earl Erskine. Thank you for joining us. On each episode of this program, Earl, a former LDS bishop, interviews a former Mormon guest about their journey out of Mormonism and into an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ. These stories are encouraging, fascinating, and often moving. For more information on the Ex-Mormon Files internet video program, please visit exmormonfiles.com. That's exmormonfiles.com. And now, here's Earl. So I'm really thrilled to welcome Sandra Tanner. Mission, and he's going to, I think it was Weber State. Uh, and he came down uh, a few times and talked with me. He bought our Mormonism Shadow Reality book. And he starts studying all these problems of Mormonism. Well, I'm not thinking anything of this because he's just this young man that's studying Mormonism, you know. Yeah. And, and so his name didn't even stand out in my mind. It was just a student yeah. that's studying. And uh, so, but, but he's developing this reputation as finding rare books. Somewhere along the line, he gets this idea of doing forgeries because he doesn't believe Mormonism, and he's essentially mad at the church. It's sort of like the movie The Sting. Oh. He's trying to think of a way to get back at the church. Oh, by forging. Uh, by forging something and making them pay for it. Yeah. <laughs> and things that would, they would want to bury, perhaps, the well, church? Well, at first or? he started out with faith-promoting forgeries. Oh. So he develops a credibility and a market. And interest by the church. And interest by get, the church. Okay. He's a faithful Mormon, yeah. out beating the bushes, finding old Mormon documents. And then little by little, he starts finding ones that were more critical. Mm. So then the rumors start going around. Oh, did you hear about the latest find? And uh, we'd get these little tidbits from different people. Oh, Mark's found some new thing, and this is really going to blow the lid off the church. It's going to expose Joseph's money digging or magic or whatever. And so little by little, these things started to come about. And then the story uh, started circulating. He'd found this letter of Martin Harris called the Salamander Letter right. that was supposed to talk about Joseph Smith's money digging and connect it all with the Book of Mormon coming out. And so it would have uh, undermined this holy angel coming to tell him about the Book of Mormon and cast it all in a magic setting. Right. So Gerald first was very excited, and he told different people that told him about this, well, I've got to see the original letter. I've got to see what the real wording is uh, to tell if this is really authentic. And when he finally got the text of the letter, he was studying it, and he said to me, there's something wrong. I don't think this document is authentic. Wow. I said, Gerald... The, the Mormon church is buying stuff from Mark Hoffman. They consider him a valid antiquities dealer. <laughs> Who are you to say his documents are forgery? And he says, this isn't a real document. And I said, well, how can you tell that? And he says, there is stuff in the Salamander letter, supposed to be written by Martin Harris, a Book of Mormon witness. He says, there are phrases in here that sound like printed material of interviews with Martin Harris. And I think someone's taken these printed sources of Martin Harris, lifted phrases, and put them together for this letter. Wow. And I said, well, how do you know it isn't the other way around? Yeah. Because that's just the way he talked, <laughs> that you would find them in printed sources, and there would be this in a private letter as well. 
And he said, no, I'm telling you, it happened the other way. He's looking at these different documents. Someone is. Yeah. And then putting them into this new product. And Gerald's going to go public with this. <laughs> and I'm thinking, okay, here goes my house. We're going to get sued and I'm going to lose everything. And Gerald says, Mark's not going to sue us. I said, well, how can you be sure of that? Yeah. And he says, because he has no evidence for the authenticity of the letter. No. And he won't want to go to court over this. You no. know, I'm like, okay. Well, Gerald wrote up, I mean, we did newsletters on this. Gerald wrote up a little paper questioning the document. And I took copies of his letter, little paper questioning the documents up to Sunstone, which is a Mormon History Association meeting. Well, not the Mormon History Association, but Mormons associated in studying Mormon history. Right. And I distribute this at the Sunstone Symposium to different people questioning Mark Hoffman's documents. Okay, that was on a Saturday. So Monday, here comes Mark Hoffman down to the bookstore. <laughs> oh, Sandra, you guys of all people, how could you do this to me? Uh, how could you question my documents? And he was very clever. He said, I, I am on the verge of getting some very important research on Brigham Young. See, he's playing to my yeah. interest in Brigham Young. Uh, I'm talking to this descent, family descendant of Thomas Bullock, who was the secretary to Brigham Young. And he says, I'm getting all these Bullock papers. And it has all kind of financial stuff of how Brigham Young, it'll show how Brigham Young was stashing away money and misusing church funds. And if you bring out this negative stuff on me, I won't be able to get this transaction with the Bullocks. And he's, so he gives me this big song and dance routine. So he leaves and then Gerald comes home. And I thought, oh, you should have been here. Mark was here and he's telling me all this stuff about uh, the documents and I give him all the stuff Mark's told me. And Gerald just looks at me and he says, and I have a bridge to sell you <laughs> in Brooklyn, in you Brooklyn. know? <laughs> and I said, Gerald, how can you be sure? And he says, I'm telling you, it's all a fake. It's a con job. This was long before the murders. Yeah. And no one paid attention because we were just a couple of apostates and we tell lies and no one can believe us, so no yeah. one paid attention. And the church in the meantime is buying up buying some of stuff this from stuff. Him, yeah. Secretly. Yeah. Buying up his documents. But Mark overshot himself financially and got himself into a financial hole. Yeah. And so it's coming down to the point where someone's going to figure out it's a con game. And so in trying to forestall being caught out, he kills two people as a diversionary tactic. With bombs and With stuff. bombs, yeah. yeah, it was a terrible thing. And, uh, and right off, then the police are wondering, hmm, well, the Tanners have been talking about forgeries. <laughs> they could be on the list. <laughs> well, no, they, were, they oh. thought that, well, maybe we were on to something. You oh. know? So then they, were, they start, immediately start looking oh, at Mark. And um, so when different reporters would go to the detectives and ask them for information on how the investigation was going, they'd say, well, we can't discuss the case, but if you want to go talk to the Tanners, they have a good <laughs> <They> theory. Have. <laughs> <laughs> so you became a little bit involved. Were you ever fearful of your life? Yes. When the third bomb went off, we thought, we thought that maybe that was a Mormon bombing people involved in bringing out church history that was embarrassing. Mm. So we were concerned if that sure. was the game, we might be you on the list. Certainly be on the list. And so we called the police after the third bomb mm. 
and, and said, if you aren't, because they had said at that point that they thought it was Mark. And we called them up and said, if you aren't really sure that it's yeah. Mark, I want police protection. Because yeah. if they're out to get people studying Mormon history, that it's embarrassing the church, I might be on that list, you know. Yeah. And the uh, detective I talked to said, Mrs. Tanner, we do not believe there is a murderer on the street. See, at this point, Mark had uh, uh, had the deal where he'd blown up his car and blown off his kneecap, and he was that in the was hospital. That was third bomb. Third bomb. Yeah. And so the police said, we do not believe the murderer is on the streets. We do not believe you have anything to fear. Yeah, as it turned out, they were right. <laughs> and they yeah. were right, yeah. yeah. Uh, so there's been so many exciting things that really have happened. In yeah. 1967, 68, the church acquires the uh, papyri from the book mm. of Abraham. Right. Now you've already talked to or looked at this a little bit with the mm. English or the uh, Egyptian alphabet and grammar. Tell us a yeah. little bit about, because uh, you know, I've actually asked a number of active Mormons, do you know that the church actually has the papyri now? Mm. And they're ignorant to they it. They don't know. They do not know that the church has it and what it actually says and doesn't say. Right. In the mid-60s, there were rumors about documents relating to the Book of Abraham that might be uh, troubling or uh, problems for the church. We heard about the, this manuscript that the church historian's office had called Joseph Smith's Egyptian Alphabet and Grammar, right. which is are the working papers for the Book of Abraham. Where he actually listed down words. And, and yeah, he would put an Egyptian character and then he put an English translation. Yeah. And this manuscript has part of the Book of Abraham manuscript in it with Egyptian characters to side of the English text. Yeah. And so we were able to get a copy of the microfilm and we printed it off. Well, the Mormons at that point were still sure that the Egyptian alphabet and grammar was legitimate. Sure. They just didn't know how to break the code. Right. And we thought it was all nonsense. So we printed off the grammar as a study aid to people, and we still print it, uh, of the photo of this document to show that Joseph couldn't read Egyptian. <laughs> so then rumors started going around that the actual papyri might still be in existence. Up to this point, everyone had assumed that, that the Smiths had given the Egyptian material to uh, yeah. people in Chicago, and parts of it had ended up in the Chicago Museum, and Chicago burned down in 1878 or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was assumed that all that collection was, had been lost. Right. But rumors started going around. No, there are the Joseph Smith papyri that he bought in Kirtland in 1835. Those papyri are still in existence somewhere in some library has that. And a friend of ours that was a uh, professor at University of Chicago wrote us and said that he had seen photos of the papyri. And he said, I can't tell you where they are. But, but they exist. <laughs> but they exist. And he says, here are some of the serial numbers. If you can figure out what these serial numbers go to, you will find the Joseph Smith papyri. Wow. Okay, so it's long serial numbers, and we talked to different people. Well, it must be a library collection. Okay, what library would have the papyri? Well, it'd have to be some library big enough, probably at a university or something, 
uh, that would have an Egyptian collection. Uh, that, so, so then we start writing around to libraries, trying to figure out, do you have call numbers like this? <laughs> yeah, oh, you, do you use these numbers? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, okay, does this mean anything to you? And um, so somebody in our crowd, and I don't remember now which one it was, somebody sent the letter off to the uh, Metropolitan Museum in, in, New York in New York and asked them about it. And they wrote back and said, funny you should ask about those because that's to the Joseph Smith papyri. And we just turned those over to the Mormon church. Wow. <laughs> so you'd have to contact them. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, okay, I don't think the church was going to make a public splash on the Book of Abraham. But Do you think they were aware at that point that it didn't support the Book of Abraham? No, I don't think they knew what they had yet. So I okay. don't know that they would have immediately gone public with okay. it. But a friend of ours was able to get... I think they were Polaroids, but copies of a few of the pieces of the papyri that through this professor at Chicago, he was able to get copies of these amateur photos mm -hmm. of the document. And so he went to the Deseret News when the announcement came out, the church had acquired something from the Metropolitan Museum on this. He went to the Deseret News and said, are you guys going to put out pictures of the papyri? Because I have these little amateur pictures, but I'd like some really good ones. And I don't think the church had planned on doing... Put them over a barrel. Uh, huh? Yeah, a, a formal photo of those things. Okay, if you look at the November... <laughs> what would it be? The November of 1968 I Enzyme, so. I, I think, think it so. is. November or is 68. it Improvement Era in 68? Yeah, yeah it might have been. Impro it might be Improvement Era. Era. Uh, if you look at that November issue, you'll see that in the middle, the church has inserted photos of the papyri. They obviously were not intended to be a part of the magazine in the first place because the numbers don't follow right through the magazine. Oh, is that right? And so the, that you get up to page 40, and then you get 41, then you get 41 A, B, C, D, E, F, whatever, <laughs> and then you get 42. Okay. So it's obvious they had not intended for these photos that are in the middle of the book. They were they printed the magazine and then they, they insert these later wow. with an announcement, here's the photos of the papyri. And <laughs> I think that's why they came out with them with yeah. that funny way. Yeah. Because they knew we had photos and didn't want us to beat them to it. Wow. So uh, then there were oh for a couple of years, Hugh Nibley, Mormon scholar, ran articles in the Improvement Era defending the Book of Abraham, trying to do a snow job on what it all means and trying to make it make sense to people that, yeah, we're right on top of this, you know. Well, there, because there was nothing in it that an Egyptologist would see made any sense. Nothing that supported Abraham being the author no. or even being written that long ago. It right. Was, and uh, just a funeral text, right? Right. And so as this became more and more obvious to the general authorities, this is a no-win situation. Yeah. It's been quietly shoved to the side. And so that's why you find the average Mormon today doesn't even know the church owns the papyri for the Book of Abraham. And here, here would have been the most wonderful opportunity to show beyond a doubt that Joseph Smith was a prophet. Well, it's like finding the Dead Sea Scrolls. Yeah, exactly. And the changes that Joseph Smith made to the Old Testament in his Joseph Smith translation, right. never supported by the Dead Sea Scrolls. Right. Well, this is what's amazing, just what's happened in the last, gosh, since you've been doing this since 60, right. 63, all these different events that have occurred. There's right. actually another one or two I think I have. Um, 
um, well, nothing as specific, but what did you think when Grant Palmer's book came out? Do you remember that? Um, yes, Grant Palmer was a Mormon Institute of Religion director who had gone through uh, the church system to retirement. Yeah. And through his latter years working for the church, he had started doing research and started questioning Mormonism. And so once he retired, he then wrote a book, um, Insider's, Insider's View of, of Mormon, Mormon Origins. Or, yeah. And Grant showed how he had gone back and looked at stuff like we had done yeah. and could see that the Book of Mormon was a product of Joseph Smith's time period that um, whether you could prove Joseph Smith wrote it or not, it had to have been written during his lifetime. Right. It was picking up on all the same uh, theological ideas of the day. It was picking up on the same ideas about the American Indian of the day. Yeah. The, there was no DNA to support the Book of Mormon that everything about it uh, fell through historically when you tried to test it out. Yeah. So he recounted a lot of things. It was quite an amazing stand for him yeah. uh, to come from such a trusted position of uh, a renowned teacher right. within the church system yeah. and then to write a book critical of the Book of Mormon and Mormonism. But it and so with all of this that's happened, is this, again, not to be gleeful over all this because it's, it's just truth and it's just facts, but it, to see all these things come forward now that support what you and Gerald have been right. doing all these years, yes. that must give you some satisfaction. Yes. There's actually never been anything to, to say that you were wrong. I mean, in, no. in so many. Uh, okay, you can find in our different books a wrong page number. And, and you, <laughs> you will find maybe I've said a, the wrong person said the quote. Said the quote. But you will not find I invented the quotes. Right. Okay, so through the years, Mormons have tried to vilify us as big liars and we make everything up. But even the Mormon historians today have to concede many of the things we were hammering away at 40 yeah. years ago. Yeah. So you have Mormons brought out um, this book by Richard Bushman, who is a Mormon historian and scholar, Joseph Smith, Roughstone Rolling. Right. Okay, when, when people heard that Bushman, who's a devout Mormon, was bringing out this new history book on Joseph Smith, all the Mormons were gleeful that finally uh, he was going to put to rest all the stuff that people like me and Gerald and like Grant Palmer Fon Brody. and Fawn Brody and all of those. He was now going to put all that to bed. Yeah. Well, it didn't turn out to be the support they had expected. I think Mormons were expecting Bushman to say all that stuff was lies. What he has to end up saying is it doesn't count or it doesn't matter. <laughs> so he has to, he concedes Joseph Smith's magic money digging stuff as a teenager. Oh, well, he was a youth and so we have to give him a certain latitude. And uh, he lied about his wives and hid him from Emma. And then he has to say, well, yeah, a lot of that stuff we just don't understand. But, uh, you know, and, and kind of brushes it aside. Well, what about Book of Abraham? And then he has to say, well, it's, it's um, direct from God. It's not exactly a translation like we always thought. Yeah. But, but it's from more, God. More inspiration or something. Yeah, problems with the first vision. Well, there's different accounts, but the overall message is the same. God was communicating in a new way to a young man, 
And so he just has this way of uh, fuzzying the story up yeah. and, and making details unimportant yeah. that always before were important, right. always before we thought the dates were important, the words were important, who showed up was important, and now he has this whole book saying, well, yeah, there are problem areas, but, but we all know that it's really true. So I know a lot of people were disappointed when Bushman's book came out because it wasn't the sure slam against uh, people writing critically about Mormonism. Yeah. I've had many Mormons come into the bookstore and tell me their doubts started reading Bushman's book. Wow. Because they expected to find a refutation a little of those more support like me. of their belief, yeah, yeah and, and, and refuting what you were right coming refuting with. the people critical of Mormonism, and he conceded too many of the points that the person started getting uncomfortable with it, and then started doing their own research, and they finally end up coming out of Mormonism because of that. Wow. So, what do you think of now? We've had in the past five, six, seven, or so years a couple of TV shows. Uh, Sean McCraney's Heart mm -hmm. of the Matter. Doris Hansen's uh, Polygamy, What Love mm -hmm. Is This, exposing even more. Where do you think all this is headed? What did you think when those shows came <laughs> out? Well, I didn't know what to make of Sean when he first started his show, because <laughs> uh, uh, he gets a little uh, rambunctious and, and uh, non-conventional at yeah. times. But it makes you think, doesn't uh, it? But, yeah, uh, he has touched a lot of people. Yeah. And I think he has found a lot of Mormon men that wouldn't have been reached otherwise. Yeah. Because they'll tell me, they come in the store and they say, oh, I was channel flipping and I saw this wild dude uh, and he wasn't wearing a suit, he wasn't the church and he wasn't a minister and he's talking about Mormonism. So I stopped and listened. And then they'll later come out and become a Christian. I'm guilty of that myself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so that, and then Doris's show, when I first heard that she was going to start doing something on polygamy, I thought, well, how many programs could you do on polygamy? <laughs> okay, maybe you could keep it going for a couple of months, but what would you find to talk about, yeah. you know? But her show has had amazing success, yeah. and we find many Mormons tuned in because they're curious about polygamy, and then they hear problems about Mormonism in general that apply to the polygamists as well, yeah. and start them thinking. So Doris and uh, Sean's programs have been a tremendous boost in reaching into Mormon homes that may not have been reached through any other medium. Because they may not have gone to a bookstore and bought right. an, an anti-Mormon right. book or some other factual book, but they would have... Uh, well, and the other there. problem they have is the internet. The Mormon church has been that. tremendously impacted by the internet. A Mormon can now sit at home without anyone knowing and watch Sean's program, watch Doris's program. Go to utlm.org. Go to our website <laughs> and read. And so I have them come into the bookstore and tell me, I started out on the internet and, and checking things out and reading. Yeah. And they'll, they'll tell me, I saw you on YouTube. And I'm like, well, okay, she doesn't look quite as bad as the Mormons <laughs> told me she was. Maybe I could go down and talk with <laughs> and her. Actually, <laughs> and actually talk. Isn't it just, it's just amazing what's yeah. happened in the last few years. And, right. and like you say, being able to do it in the comfort of your home. The thing that really got me out of the church was the fact that there was so much. Yeah. 
when I made this list of things that I presented to my wife, and then even beyond that, I've learned so yeah, much more. Yeah. I couldn't keep explaining away like maybe yeah. Bushman or somebody could do. I just had to eventually face the fact that there is, yeah. it, it can't have. There's too much. Yeah, there's just too much. So this must be somewhat yes. pleasing for you a little bit to say, you know, yeah. I, do you think Gerald got a sense of this before he, oh, yes. before he passed away? We talked to so many people through the years yeah. that we were a part of their story of coming out that's been really exciting. Um, I had one man come in one day and he had bought our Shadow Reality book, which is five pounds of paper. I, <laughs> it's I, like a ream of paper, have one. you know. <laughs> and uh, uh, someone had got him a copy of it and he said... I started thumbing through that book, and I thought, if only half the stuff in this book is true, yeah, that would be enough to show the church wasn't true. Yeah, how much do you need? Yeah, you know, I mean, if it was just the Book of Abraham and uh, yeah. questions about the Book of Mormon or First Visions yeah. or something, well, it, any one of them would any be wouldn't enough. Be enough to, to, but when you add them up, <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just shocking. This has been the audio edition of The Ex-Mormon Files. The Ex-Mormon Files is a production of Main Street Church of Brigham City. For information about this program, including past and current video episodes, please visit exmormonfiles.com. From there, you can also download audio episodes of this program. If you have an Ex-Mormon story you would like to share, we'd love to hear from you. Please write us at contact at exmormonfiles.com. Thank you for listening, and we hope you'll tune in again soon.